is a holistic Twin Peaks podcast. That means we discuss each episode within the context of the series as a whole. In other words, spoilers abound. Welcome to episode 10 of Really Weird Stuff, a Twin Peaks podcast. I'm Jessica Baxter. I'm Annie Malone. And today we're discussing Twin Peaks season two, episode two, Coma, written by Harley Payton and directed by David Lynch. This episode originally aired on October 6th, 1990. And it's uh, the second part of the double bang of lynchy goodness that kicks <laughs> off season two. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the this episode overall? Overall, um, I feel like not a lot moved forward in this episode. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, this one's kind of a mixed bag. I was actually a little surprised that this one was directed by David Lynch because I feel yeah. like usually he's a real <laughs> banger. The first episode of this season is so good yeah i mean there's a lot happening but i feel like there's a lot of scenes but there's not a lot of movement yeah it definitely just feels like here's all the new plots for season two Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know we'll still work on the laura thing a little bit but mostly pay attention to all this new stuff yeah and it's significant i think that he didn't write it and mark frost didn't write it either neither of them you know so it was written by harley payton who does write a couple other episodes in season two, but and wrote, I think, a couple season one episodes as well. But he's basically like handing over the reins. Right. <laughs> he does get to put some of his lynchy touches on it. It reminds you of some of the more annoying plots that are about to happen. But then there's some fun stuff too. No, there's a lot I like to just, like, for example, like I had a hard time coming up with an MVP because I was like, who did something that added value in some way, you know? Right. That's true. That I was really having to kind of rethink what an MVP even is. Right. <laughs> so right. Yeah. There might be some of that. Maybe it'll reveal itself as we discuss the episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get into the episode. It opens on a terrific interaction between Albert and Coop in the great yes. northern dining room. They're having a massive breakfast oh for some gosh. reason. There's so much food just on that table. Like, who is that big muffin for what? on the edge there? What happened here? Pancakes, right. Three cinnamon rolls, a plate of bacon, <laughs> a plate of sausage just stacked so high that it looks like they're going to topple over. <laughs> scrambled eggs and then they each have like a short stack of pancakes in front of them right right like, oh and grapefruits half yes, grapefruit, half grapefruit I love that. <laughs> for your health right. oh my god it's really funny Is Albert it, running a marathon the next day <laughs> albert's not like eating anything right? <laughs> cooper's shoveling pancakes yeah. into his mouth and albert is just wanting to get down to business yes 
I really just want to know what happened there. Maybe he just overordered because it's kind of his first meal after getting out of the yeah, hospital. Maybe. And he's like, the hospital food was bad. They definitely make a point of like showing how bad the hospital food is. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. I feel like David Lynch must have just been severely traumatized by <laughs> hospital food at one point. <laughs> Yeah, so that's really crazy. Albert's talking about the <laughs> results of the autopsy on Jacques Renault. He says that Jacques was suffocated by a pillow rather than strangled. And then he lists the contents of Jacques' stomach. And it's all just a bit, which is, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I uh, performed the autopsy on Jacques Renault. Stomach contents revealed, let's see, beer cans, a Maryland license plate, half a bicycle tire, a goat, and a small wooden puppet goes by the name of Pinocchio. You're making a joke. I like to think of myself as one of the happy generations. Albert's like trying to be so personable in this interview. He is. He's making a joke and he kind of expresses that he cares about Cooper. He definitely does. Oh my God, I know. How do you feel? Me? I believe it's customary to ask after the health of one recently plugged three times. Thanks for asking. Don't get sentimental. He's so earnest when he asks how Koopa is. Like, I don't think I've seen him be that earnest. That's yeah. the most earnest thing he's ever said. I love how he immediately like, walks it back with don't get sentimental. But. <laughs> and it's clearly something that he's never done before because Cooper is so thrown by it. Right. But he is so funny. I just love an Albertism senior drool cup. I know. <laughs> oh, the world's most decrepit room service waiter remembers nothing out of the ordinary about the night in question. No surprise there. Senior drool cup has, shall we say, a mind that wanders. I don't know why Albert works for me the way he does, you know, because Albert is like so ableist and ageist and fat phobic. And it's, just it's like, true. You're coming, Albert. I don't know why. <laughs> he basically is like an insult comic. He's like triumph yeah, the insult totally. stuff. <laughs> for me to poop on. I think it's because like he's so smooth and so competent, you know, like yeah. he's always right. Which I mm -hmm. do like about that because I do remember one thing about who shot Cooper and he says how tall the person was and you can really eliminate a lot of people. Yeah. I remember my brother was like really clinging to that when we were talking about like who it was. He's like, nope, too tall, too tall, too tall. Oh, <laughs> like, man. I'm sure of Albert here. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that was really amazing how he figured that out. Also, I like how he knew that the person who killed Jacques Renault was wearing gloves. Yeah, is that just because there's no fingerprints? I guess. But it's like on a pillow. And the tape. Right. Oh, yeah. Probably the tape. Oh, maybe there were like glove fibers on the tape. Yeah. Like I'm that. sure Albert knows what he's doing. He's <laughs> yeah. always right, you know? Has know. Albert ever been wrong? Like, the cops on the show are always wrong, you know? He hasn't. He really yeah. is always right. It's amazing. Yeah. And then Coop knows that. I love right. that he is so reverent of Albert's expertise, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you're with us, Albert, he says. I'm glad you're with us, Albert. We need the very best. He knows about everything. He knows about the mill fire, that it was arson, Leo Johnson's the prime suspect, correct? And then he says that the reason he showed up in person, though, was because he has bad news. Wyndham Earl has flown the coop. Right. <laughs> coop. What happened? Nobody knows. Your former partner flew the coop. Coop. A lot of coop in this, <laughs> yeah. this episode. That's true. Coop, coop, coop. I kind of forget all the specifics of the Wyndham Earl thing, but it seems like Coop only thought that he was retired. No, Coop definitely knew that he was institutionalized okay. because of the whole thing like their backstory is that he fell in love with Wyndham Earl's wife and then Wyndham Earl murdered his wife and tried to murder Coop. 
So that's when it he just got... seems like he didn't know that the way he says it. He says he did. Is retired. I think that's the cover story. Oh, okay. He's retired. Yeah, to a nice comfy chair, complete with wrist restraints at the local laughing academy. So he's just kind of saying like. Oh yeah, the retired guy. He definitely knows what happened. He was there. <laughs> the winter Merle stuff is difficult sometimes. I mm. <laughs> but we are only getting just his name at this point, so we don't have to worry about that yet. We'll we'll have plenty of time to mull over how annoying the Winter Merle plot is. <laughs> And then the camera pans slowly away from Albert and Coop across the Great Northern Dining Room, <laughs> past other diners and the barbershop quartet, and uh, lands on a man that we've seen a couple times already, checking into the hotel, making a phone call, trying to get in touch with Josie. This is Mr. Lee. Well, he's introduced as Mr. Lee <laughs> eventually as Josie's cousin, but he's really like a henchman for her former boss. And he was the one who convinced Josie to shoot Coop. So that's why he's keeping an eye on Coop right now. He's like, how is this guy still alive? <laughs> this is annoying to me. Yeah, he's a bad dude. Eventually she murders him as well. <laughs> And then we cut to Donna carrying a tray of food, her first Meals on Wheels delivery to Mrs. Tremon, <laughs> who lives in, I guess, like a, do you call that a duplex? It's just two houses, two units in one building. Yeah, I guess so. I feel like that structure has been dressed. Like, there's just so many logs, Lincoln Log kind of accents on the building. They're like, make this look Pacific Northwest. Here's a bunch of logs. <laughs> and they tacked logs everywhere and put piles of wood. I don't know. Maybe it really did look like that, but it feels really weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really notice that much on the outside. Because I was so distracted by Donna's gigantic vest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She always looks like she's borrowing her dad's clothes. It's weird, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like she has this like little skirt that fits great, and then this big sweater and gigantic vest. Yes. So. <laughs> it's like, I got, it's March, but right. yeah. You can get form-fitting jackets. Right. So she goes into Mrs. Trebon's place, and it's a very pink room with lots and lots and lots of art on the walls, and what do you call that style of furniture? Victorian? I guess so, yeah. And there's a little boy sitting in the corner in a big easy chair. Oh my gosh, I love him. He looks suspiciously like a young David Lynch in a suit. like a baby David Lynch. Yes. And that's because his name is Austin Lynch, Uh and he is baby David Lynch. Surprisingly, this character is recast in Fire Walk With Me. I don't know if it's because Austin didn't look like a little baby anymore or not, but the boy in Fire Walk With Me's name is Jonathan LaPelle. Anyway, this character's name is Pierre. <laughs> Mrs. Tremont's grandson. Yes, and he is studying magic. Do you see cream corn on that plate? Yes. I requested no cream corn. Do you see cream corn on that plate? No. My grandson is studying magic. It's nice. I mean, bang up job. I yeah. don't know how he did that. Made that cream corn just fly off the plate into his hand. He sure did. Sometimes things can happen just like this. 
I think the kind of magic Mrs. Tremont is talking about is actual literal magic and not like David Blaine's sleight of hand <laughs> shit. Where he's he studying? Maybe above a convenience store mm-hmm. somewhere? These people are so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if I thought they were as creepy as eventually. Like in Fire Walk With Me, they're just absolutely terrifying. But I'm trying to remember if the first time I saw them, I knew I was unsettled by them and I couldn't remember if they were as horrifying as they eventually become. Anyway, because Mrs. Tremond is probably possessed by Judy at various intervals, if not here. But I think maybe not here because she doesn't want the creamed corn. There's something about Judy and creamed corn. Uh, The creamed corn is the Garmenbosia. That's the form that this pain and suffering takes oh. when it's extracted from the victims oh. and from Lee Lin and fire walk with me he like gets all that blood out of Lee Lin and mm-hmm. then it goes on the floor and turns into the corn oh, right. and then gets magicked I'm gonna have and to rewatch yeah. Firewalk you gotta rewatch Firewalk yeah, I, know, I, I mean after every episode right <laughs> Yes. Annie Hoozle. Uh, let's see. So Donna's talking to Mrs. Tremont about Laura. Mrs. Tremont says she didn't really know her that well. She's dead. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> she says, you might ask the man that lives next door, Mr. Smith. And then that's when Pierre says, Je un am solitaire. Which means, I have a lonely soul. A lonely soul, okay. Yes, which is what Harold writes as a suicide note later. And there's that painful scene where Andy is just butchering the French and trying to read it to Donna. French is really hard. It is, it's true. I love that Donna then ever tells Mrs. Tremont her name. Like, she literally asks, who are you? And she just says, I took over Laura's route. That doesn't really answer my question. And then after she leaves, Pierre's really creepy and he says, She seemed like a very nice girl. So Donna knocks on the door of Mr. Smith's place. He doesn't answer, but is very definitely home. She leaves him a little note on a business card. I really want to see the front of that business card. Like, what business card is that? Is it Doc Hayward? <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, doctor. I, I really want to see the front of it. Any... All medical needs, anything at all, any time of day, right. I am your doctor. And other things too. Hiking companion. Okay. At Calhoun Memorial Hospital, speaking of Doc Hayward, Harry and Coop are visiting Ronette and having a lot of trouble with those stools yes. for some reason. Scene. Like, that's a very <laughs> David Lynch scene where it's like the patience of like, let's wait for them to figure out these stools before we get to this scene. I know. Excuse us, Ronette. Wait. Yeah. Stop. Read operating instructions beneath seat before using. I can't stand next to chair. Do not remain seated. Place foot on base and pull seat all the way up until you hear a click. Sorry, Ronette. The direction there. Stop. (laughs) Read instructions. And why are they up so high anyway, those stools? Who was yes. sitting on them before that they needed them that tall? Because both of those men are pretty tall. Right. But it's funny, and it takes a long time. And then eventually, <laughs> I like how many times Coop apologizes to Renette. He's just like, oh, sorry, we're still working on this stool thing here. But then he shows her two sketches. The first one's of Leo, and it's not a very good sketch of Leo. <laughs> I, I guess it's why is it? Why is sketch of Leo. Like, when they have a photograph. Leo is, right? like, they, 
Why is there even a sketch? Just take one of those pictures from Flesh World. Right. I'm sure. I mean, Leo's been arrested. Or that really nice photo of him that's on the television at home. Right. And probably a mugshot. Yes, yes, yes. He has a record, so he has a mugshot. I don't understand why it's a sketch of Leo. It is funny. And it's not even all that good. I only know it's Leo because it's not Jacques. (laughs) And it's not Bob. I know it's Leo because they said it was Leo in the earlier. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Because in the scene with Albert, I wrote down why sketch of Leo. Because he said, I'm going to show her a sketch. Why? (laughs) Yeah, it's very puzzling. Is this the man that hurt you? And she shakes her head. And then they show her a sketch of Bob. And then she freaks the fuck out. Understandably so. She kind of tries to say train, sort of, over and over again. And then breaks a lamp. And then there's like this really scary noise at the end of the scene. Did you hear that noise? It's kind of like the same sound that you hear later on when Bob's coming after oh. Maddie. It's like a low, like, I feel like it did. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terrible <laughs> Bob laugh, I guess. Yeah, Ugh, it's creepy. So scary. There's a lot of scary a lot Bob of shit. Yes, that was the hard one for me to narrow down. <laughs> a lot of contenders. At the Great Northern in Ben's office, we have Jerry and Ben debating what to burn. Should we burn the real ledger? Should we burn the fake ledger? Should we burn my smoked cheese pig? Obviously, it's not going to be the pig. Brother Ben, we've got two ledgers and one smoked cheese pig. Which one do we burn? And it ain't going to be my pig. Ugh, the way he's eating that is so gross. Like, he's taking bites right out of it. But then he's also holding a knife. Like, right. why even have the knife? Cut the pieces off and eat it that way. Just taking a bite of a big hunk of cheese, that seems really gross. It is weird. Yeah, and then, like, you're not going to share that with anybody. Not even Ben. Right, they share everything. <laughs> They're so weird. But I even find that not as weird as the fact that Ben had a bag of marshmallows <laughs> yeah. sitting over by his desk. Why don't we, uh... Try these. Marshmallows! Ben! Where are those hickory sticks? They like to eat those guys. They like to mix business and eating and fire and (laughs) all of it. I mean, it's good. It's helpful whenever they sort of explain this very convoluted insurance fire. That's true. Like they're reminding us what the two ledgers even are. This Josie sells us the mill. We can get a better price if it appears to be more profitable. So, we burn the real one. On the other hand, the real one would hold up under any future scrutiny. And here's where we're at. Catherine's dead, we think. Right. Catherine did not sign the insurance policy. Oh, we find that out later, though. But anyway, it's nice that they go through those things a little bit, even though it doesn't matter at all. (laughs) (laughs) If you really needed to know... There you are. <laughs> well, it's weird, too, that they did all this but didn't have a plan, like, what they were going to do, you know? Like, That's true. Like it was it's almost like they're surprised. ledgers and then be like, wait, what did we want to do with this? <laughs> they're just always prepared to do crimes. They're like, let's just cook one book in case we ever want to do some crime with it. Right. But even the real book is also sort of not real. My understanding is that the real book is the one that shows 
that the mill was losing money, but Catherine was like making the mill lose money on purpose or something, or like yeah. intentionally running it into the ground somehow. So the real one is also fake in a way. That's a good point. That. Yeah. yeah, it's just all corrupt. It seems like a weird extra step to do. Why don't you just run it right? If you're going to have two books, have the fake book be the one where it's losing money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like lose money on purpose. But also keep a book where it's not losing money. It seems like there was an extra step somewhere that you didn't need. You're right. It all seems pretty extra. <laughs> I know. It's such a complicated plot for something that is like, does, who is it that cares about this? I feel like David Lynch doesn't even really care. Because <laughs> he's he yada 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 over a lot of the business stuff. Right. And he didn't even write that. He's like, all right, I don't want to write about the mill. <laughs> Hurley Payton, you do it. Right. <laughs> So then we're cut to the double R, where Andy is having so much trouble taping a sketch of Bob to the door. I don't understand. I mean, I mean, other than it's like that. To the door just fine, but then. But then what happens? Extra tape all over. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's from the head trauma from the day before. Yes. No one ever took him to the hospital for that, and he really, <laughs> really needed to go. I think. And Major Briggs is sitting at the counter enjoying a cup of coffee. Margaret comes in, and <laughs> Norma. Ooh very nicely asks her margaret it's always very nice to see you but if you're going to spit your sticky pitch come out in the diner would you please use an ashtray and not the counter or the booth like you did last time what is it pitch gum, pitch gum. is it like sticky sap pitch? i don't know i think it's like sap that she's chewing Gross. yeah it's from trees they decided that she would have another tree quirk, I guess. Yeah. They set that up at the last episode. <laughs> They're chewing that and then sticking it on the wall, which was not cool. No. I don't know why she does that. And she seems very affronted by Norma saying that. Like, she's oh. indignant about it. She doesn't yeah. say sorry. It's she interesting. Doesn't. I don't know what's going on with Margaret. She's not, like, always friendly, but she's not rude, necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> but she's not nice Margaret here. Yeah. I'll have a bear claw. She does not take cream in her coffee, turns out. <laughs> Margaret asks Major Briggs about his, his shiny, shiny metals. Metal. Yes. Yeah, I like that. And he gives a really nice answer. You wear shiny objects on your chest. Yes, I do. Are you proud? No, achievement is its own reward. Pride obscures it. And then she says that the log has a message for him. Can you hear it? No, ma'am, I cannot. I will translate. Deliver the message do you understand yes ma'am as a matter of fact i do he doesn't even question that yeah he immediately knows and he's only like maybe the tiniest bit surprised that he did understand what the log said like i love how receptive to things like that major yeah, pigs is it just rolls with it. Yeah. At the sheriff station, Lucy is wow. dealing with the noisiest fly of all time. Yeah. Ugh, I'm surprised that she gives up after a little while. It's so noisy. Meanwhile, Andy is outside pacing with a bunch of tape stuck to his head. And it cuts back and forth. There's the little lynchy moment there of cutting back and forth between the fly and Andy pacing. Strangely, when the, the shot from the inside of the doors, the double doors where you can see Andy outside, like that shot is shaky. I don't know why. Huh. <laughs> I just kept noticing every time we cut back, it was a shaky shot. That always surprises me. <laughs> like, why was it like that? But anyway, then he comes in and he's been working up what he wanted to say to her, he tells her that he went to the Tacoma Sperm Bank, yeah. 
Which is very strange because that is so far from where they are. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like basically for the show to make sense, it's like Washington is about the size of like New Jersey or something. Like Yeah. <laughs> like all the towns in Washington are pretty close together. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's like a 10 hour drive to Tacoma from. Well, where 12? are they supposed to be? I if they're like near the border. Places. Well, but I mean, the, the border of what? Idaho and Washington. Oh, Idaho. Okay. Because I thought they're also near the Canadian border. They are. They're in the right. top, so the top, top farthermost right, okay, so right as, corner. I think they're as far from Tacoma as you could be. Yeah, I think went, so. If you were in Tacoma <laughs> and you were like, go as far as you can, but still be in Washington, that's where they would be. Yeah. It's just okay. weird you didn't pick any town any closer. Like, I know three cities in Washington. Also, is that <laughs> a, a sperm drive? Is that a thing? I don't know. The Tacoma Sperm Bank was looking for donors. Naturally, I applied. It's my civic duty, and I like whales. Never heard of that. I don't ever feel like there's a sperm shortage. Like, <laughs> it's not blood. Like, that's, yeah. What's the sperm emergency in Tacoma? Yeah. And does he say, like, because I feel like they're captioning it wrong, and he said, I went because I like whales. Like, he said whales. whales. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he went because he thought that. Sperm whales need sperm. Okay. Because yeah. Andy is so Andy's dumb. Andy's really dumb in this scene. In this yeah. episode, is very dumb, Andy. Yeah. And this is not just because of the head trauma, because this happened a while ago. Right. I think it's very funny when he says, they said I was sterile and I thought that meant I didn't have to take a bath. A routine physical examination revealed that I'm sterile. Sure, I thought it meant I didn't have to take a bath, but the doctors told me the truth. He's, they got the intelligence of, like, a six-year-old right now. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm surprised that he could jerk off into a cup, you know? That like... <laughs> he even knows what his boner is right. and what it's for. I mean, I feel like, are we sure it was even sperm? That Like, who knows, you know? If you ask Andy yes. for a sperm sample and he gives you a cup, like, I... Who yeah. knows what's in there? Yeah. <laughs> it definitely... <laughs> It has always surprised me why anyone would find him sexy or hot. So, well, yeah, you know, I know. So Lucy is always horny for him when he's, like, competent, you know. <laughs> That's a good point. So she's not feeling this Andy at all. Right. But <laughs> whenever he does anything competent, she's like, yes. So he must be her type physically. But she does have some explaining to do, though, you know. She does, yeah. She is busted, even though it's mm -hmm. questionable what happened but he's like lucy you told me you're pregnant and i can't do that so what's yeah up, girl it's true that's not okay <laughs> right it's especially not okay when we find out who the other <laughs> contender is because that guy sucks that guy's not good he's definitely gonna be an lvp oh and then it's really funny that right after he tells her all that and right before she gets mad at him again i guess and closes the window on him he like puckers up as if they're gonna kiss right then why did he think they were gonna kiss right then he's like know. you're pregnant and i think you might have cheated on me and then leads in for a smooch it's a weird way to take that i don't know andy i don't like it when harry makes fun of him but it is perplexing that he exists sometimes yeah. <laughs> i don't know how he functions right that's literally <laughs> how he functions meanwhile in harry's office hank is waiting with his dumb domino dangling i hate hank but I do like that he makes one of the uh, the book stops here head the thing. Here. The book yeah. stopped here. Yeah. Oh my god. Dumb. Yeah, it's an awfully cute book, Harry. 
I'm kind of team nobody. Like, I love that Harry hates Hank. I dislike them both so much. Yeah. And I like that they have basically the same name and how much they hate each other, you know? <laughs> They're like, a lot so, alike. It's they just... so petty, like, how Hank signs the thing, like... <laughs> <laughs> with one hand kind yeah, of yeah like just a couple things on it. yeah so lazy right it's like so childish but also like you can tell it bugs harry yeah <laughs> that's why he does it i know that's like the only i definitely yeah. never ever ever like hank but it does make me laugh when he trolls harry a little right. bit right like didn't they tell you to wait outside hmm? yeah mm. Harry has his high school football trophy on his desk, sad. Very Harry, yeah. <laughs> And then Harry's also not even, like, surprised anymore when Coop calls it that they used to be friends and had a falling out. <laughs> He's just like, yep, we grew up together. And he used to be a good guy, he said. Okay. I don't, I find that hard to believe. Right. Interesting piece of work. How long were you and Hank friends? We grew up together. Hank used to be a bookhouse boy. Back then... Hank was one of the best of us. Are you yeah. sure he used to be a good guy or it's you just, just found Harry, out he's an asshole? Harry is not known for his judgment. That's know? a very good point. Yeah, yeah he turned bad. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Better get used to that, Harry. Women. <laughs> but then Ben Horn phones and reports right. very nonchalantly that yeah. Audrey's been missing for two days. Why did he even bother? I know. Not, he is not at all concerned he, about this. He doesn't care. Audrey's missing. What? Or as much as... Uh, Maybe two days. It's just earlier he was like, has anyone seen Audrey? Right. I guess I have to ask somebody about her because otherwise they'll think I did something. Maybe. I wonder if that's why he did it. Because he definitely does not seem to give a shit. He's like, anyway, just look into it, you know, if if you get around to it. Gotta go. But Coop, on the other hand, is so upset. Oh, we also, uh, Lucy gets her another little fun phone trials and tribulations. (laughs) Would you like me to transfer him to you? Well, not him, but his phone call? She really never figures that out, does she? Well, except at the very, very end. She says she understands phones at the very end, but we don't know if that's true or not, because she doesn't show us. (laughs) Anyway, but then cuts back to Ben's office, where Jerry brings in the unsigned insurance policy, having gotten the story that Catherine wouldn't sign it because of her concerns about not being informed at all about this policy, yes. which fair. Mr. Neff kind of saved yeah. the day there. He did. Jerry uh, has so much kind of jewelry on her. Like, he's so accessorized. He is. Really, he's, he's wearing, so like, the craziest thing, yeah. tie. It's like a, like a brooch on. Yeah, I was thinking it was, like, a piece of a chandelier or something, but, yeah. He has two things. Like, he has sort of, like, a bolo jewelry right there, but then also, like, on his lapel, like, he has... Like a big pin. I wonder if that's a thing. Because remember in The Return, he's wearing a beanie and Ben's like, is that mother's hat? (laughs) Maybe he like always just likes to steal their mother's accessories. Yeah. Very strange style. And he's always wearing those glasses. They're very dark lenses. The Himmler lenses. And then Ben's is like, get him on the blower. Let's get those pickled ice men on the blower. Yeah. Who's a phone a blower? Does he not want to say horn because that's his name? Like, oh, maybe. I don't know. Get him on the blower. The line. It's a funny one. It's a very antiquated <laughs> way to say that. It's like a 1920s slang, I think, or something. Yeah. I've never heard that ever. It's a very, very old I mean, one. I wasn't around in the 1920s, so. You know, but... but I think it comes up in like old movies. It's, huh. Yeah, obviously I wasn't either. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, something I haven't told you. <laughs> Time traveler. Yeah, and he comes up with another, like, he loves to just insult all the <laughs> Scandinavian investors. Let's get right. those pickled ice men on the blower. And while they're doing that, Leland enters, and uh, <laughs> that Leland's is... Leland's very neat. He is very, very neat, but like, white hair. yeah, I was watching him really closely in that scene. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like he's 100% Bob, but he's definitely... But he's definitely not, like, messy, falling apart Leland. He is not. He claims that the turning of his hair white is turned a corner somehow, but... Yeah, sums up with him. And also, he's, like, very weirdly throwing wrenches into the Ghostwood deal for some reason. Gentlemen, I've been giving us a lot of thought. This millfire will no doubt put contract signing on hold for the moment, so we must ensure that the moment, our moment, does not pass us by. I therefore recommend that we make a quick but cordial follow-up phone call to Iceland, do a little gentle handling, let Einar know that we're right on top of this thing. He thought he was doing something right, I guess. I don't know. He tells Einar about the mill fire, and they were like, that was not a good idea. (laughs) While they're kind of trying to do damage control and yelling at Leland, he notices the Bob poster in the corner and goes to pick it up. Really close shot of him looking at that poster. It's just, you cannot not look right at his face the whole time. I know him. Excuse me. My grandfather's summer house on Pearl Lakes. He lived right next door. I was just a little boy. But I know him. He does not seem to get it. He's pretty Leland, but... It's weird. It's really weird. I mean, it's so fun to think of, like, the first time I watched this, I had no clue that it was Leland, you know? And it seems like they're throwing you so many clues, you know, when you watch it knowing. (laughs) And he's like, I know him. Yes, right. I did not clue into that at all. And then he leaves to tell the sheriff about this straight away, he says. And then when he leaves, (laughs) Ben is so annoyed, he says, Jerry. Please kill Leland. And Jerry's response is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this real, Ben? Or some strange and twisted dream? Great question, Jerry. <laughs> Such a great question. And who is the dreamer? Right. <laughs> Woo! At the hospital, Doc Hayward is... Doc of all trades, Doc <laughs> Hayward. Never not working. <laughs> He's... T- some bullets from Leo. Yes. He's stabilized him, but he's in a coma because of his blood loss, I guess. He says a lot of things are hard to say. He says that's hard to say a couple times. He doesn't know if there's brain damage, but the mirror is an interesting choice. (laughs) It's like a surgical mirror, and he just hasn't removed it. I don't know why that mirror is there. Other than a cool shot at the very end when it zooms in and you see his eyes open slightly. Yeah, that's That's cool. (laughs) And then it reminds me a little bit of like in The Return with Audrey's mirror. Oh, it is the same kind of, yeah, yeah, that kind of round. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a name for it. Convex. Well, convex is out and concave is okay i feel like it's probably concave right okay strange yeah well what's going on with shelly in this that's what are she's feeling i'm not sure she seems to be like kind of tapping into some 
actual love for Leo. It does seem like that. But she also seems scared of him still. In the beginning of the mm-hmm. scene, like, she's afraid to even come close to where he is and he's mm-hmm. in a coma. But yeah. then she also seems, like, very upset or scared. I don't know what's going on with Shelley. Yeah, and she doesn't seem like she's pretending to be sad. Right. Like, and she like, just really she... is feeling all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did love this guy at one point. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to let go of that even if... <laughs> I don't know, for some people. For some people maybe. <laughs> I mean, but also, like, she shot him and is in love with Bobby, you know? She shot him and then he didn't even die from that, this, or whatever. And this he tried to kill and her. And he tried to kill yeah. her again. Yeah, I don't Come know. On, Shelley. It's interesting. Maybe she's just all over the place emotionally. Yeah. Maybe that's just her crying has nothing to do with him. It's just, I mean, not nothing to do with him, but it's just all the emotion of everything hitting her. Because it is a lot. There's a lot going on. She did just almost die. What do you think's going through Doc Hayward's mind in that scene? Does he know how abusive Leo is to her? I don't think he would specifically know that, but I feel like he knows Leo is bad news. He knows about all his charges. Yeah. Potential charges. Right. I guess he doesn't specifically know that Leo was the one who started the fire. He knows what happened to Shelly, right? That Shelly was in the mill when it was burning. Yeah. I mean, Doc Hayward is always such a yes. question mark. You can almost always ask, why is he in this scene at all? You know. Yeah. <laughs> we did just discover that the person who plays him is Mark Frost's dad, so that might explain why. He, yeah. He gets some extra screen time. I feel a little stupid about that, <laughs> but... How did I just learn that? I just learned that so recently. <laughs> and then you told me about it, and I didn't know either. Right. <laughs> we have been going on and on. Why? It must be a thing with this actor, that they just like yes. working with him. <laughs> they do. That's not incorrect, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, he just is everywhere, and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. But also, yeah, because Doc Hayward has been around for so much of Hoop and Harry's investigation and in that cabin and stuff, so he should know plenty about Lee. He seems to know a lot. Right. <laughs> More than I would think they'd be allowed to share, but anyway. Back at the police station, Lucy receives a call for the sheriff from someone who will not give his name. And she refuses to connect them until he tells her his name and then the person hangs up. And who do we think this person is? I don't know. I don't know. I was wondering if it was Leland because he did say, I'm going to go tell the sheriff right away. And then we don't see him again. Yeah, but why wouldn't Leland? I thought you were supposed to think it was Mr. Lee or Uh Wyndham Earl. Yeah. Because I think that when they show Mr. Lee, you're supposed to think that's Wyndham Earl. Mm-hmm. And that's who you're supposed to think it is calling. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. But I don't know who it actually is. Yeah. And then at One Eye Jacks, Audrey is jumping in on a John who turns out to be Emery. <laughs> and his kinks include vacuum cleaner sounds, bondage, oh painted toenails, and buckets of ice. What's going on with Emery there? <laughs> it seems complicated. Also the way the, the girl is dressed in like kind of a weird western sort of outfit. Yeah. Also when he says Frosty the snowman or something. Yeah, Frosty. Yeah. I don't know what Emery wants to happen. There. It's complicated. Yeah. It's really hard to get this guy off for some reason. Yes. <laughs> And the way that the vacuum lady is, like, waving Audrey away, it's like, we can't interrupt this flow or whatever. This is what he wants. She's, like, very adamant about not leaving. But Audrey is so forceful. It's really funny. Go, go. (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess she's like, it's your funeral. And it kind of is. But first, Audrey does get the upper hand at Emery, which is very sweet, and I love it. She unplugs the vacuum and wraps the cord around his neck. Hiya, Emery. You remember me? Huh? It really looks like you got yourself in a fix here, huh? Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you a nice little bedtime story. Are you ready? Once upon a time, there was a sweet, innocent girl named Red. She met a bad old wolf. That's you. She kicked the crap out of that wolf, and she told her daddy all about it. Then she told the police, and the bad old wolf went to jail for a million years. What do you want? I want to know everything you know, Emery. I guess she threatens to tell her dad about everything if he doesn't tell her the truth, which is weird because I feel like she already knows a little bit that her dad is involved because she definitely saw him in the room. But for some reason, Emery does still tell her everything, even though her threat is like, I'm going to tell my dad. And it's like, what are you going to tell your dad? I know. I do like her little fairy tale that says who's who. Little Red, that's me. Yeah. Red Wolf, that's you. And there's a little bit of a motif there with the Big Bad Wolf thing, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he confirms that Ben runs when I jacks and he says he runs everything, which I don't know what that means, but he runs a lot of things and also he for sure had sex with laura and she for sure knew about him and his role in everything but then he says that laura only came up once and was so high that they kicked her out which is a weird double standard for a place where like the manager is addicted to heroin right well and then it's also weird that at the end of it he says laura always got her way laura always got her way understand just like you when? When you kicked her out? Right. <laughs> yeah. And then she got murdered? Like, wait. Mm-hmm. I feel like Laura didn't get her way a lot. Yes, you know? exactly. She almost never did. She was here once and we kicked her out. She always got her way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What's, what's her way? Right. I forced her into prostitution and she right. got her way. He's got a weird Emory, perspective. What are you even saying? I hate this guy. Yeah. Oh, I do love that she says the big bad wolf went to jail for a million years. Yeah. I love her little kid She's hyperbole that child. she does yeah, sometimes. And her iconic line. I'm Audrey Horn and I get what I want. Even though that is sadly not true yeah. at all. Oh, Audrey. Not even a little bit. But the confidence. Yes. Then we're with Bobby and Shelly, and they're parked in Garland's oh, Lincoln so Continental. So cute. <laughs> Groove into some surf rock after he changes. He asks her to change it from the Battle of Menti. I love that when it's like the soundtrack, and then Nate switches it to the surf rock. And uh, they're both so into the surf they- rock. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nodding their heads. That's the stuff. And then Bobby tells her that he made some calls and found out that Leo has $5,000 a month in disability. Yeah, that's a ton. Coming to him if he doesn't go to jail. So that means she cannot testify against him if she wants to get paid. And she at first is like, uh, no fucking way. I want him to go to jail. I don't want to see him ever again. But then... Bobby talks her into it because he says, well, if he's in a coma, it's not a big deal. He says the strangest thing. We can stick him in a corner and hang donuts from his ears. Bobby says the strangest things about Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Hang donuts from his ears. And then he does get into a whole thing about, like, for some reason, his favorite way to humiliate Leo is to just, like, put pastry on his face. Because he does the cake thing and all that. Yeah. He's like, I can't wait to just humiliate him with pastry. Yeah. And it seems like a good idea, but it doesn't go well. (laughs) And then they have some cute sexy talk and make out. And Shelly says, I'm going to eat you up. And it's very cute. Bobby, right? Bobby. 
But I like that little Red Riding Hood metaphor is here. <laughs> then in room 315 of the Great Northern, Coop is recording a message to Diane about his concerns over Wyndham Earl's disappearance and Audrey's also disappearance, I guess, yeah. for very different reasons. It's so sweet. I also learned that Audrey Horn is missing. Audrey's absence touches me in ways I could not predict. I find myself thinking not of clues or of evidence, but of the content of her smile. I love how he is really so fond of her. If only he would just fucking look under his bed. Ah, gosh, I know, it's right there. <laughs> There's a knock on the door, and it's Garland Briggs, and Coop didn't expect Briggs. He doesn't usually get caught unawares by people dropping by. It's rare to see Coop unsettled, you know, and I feel he's very unsettled by the stuff that Briggs shows him. But yet, even just... And he says, who is it? And he's like, get your brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of mouths it to himself like, what? Random. Yeah. Totally. But it's not random at all because Garland Briggs has come to deliver the message, which is that he's given a little backstory about his classified job, monitoring communications from space. And he says he takes the secrecy very seriously, but then he says the most wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> Any bureaucracy that functions in secret inevitably blends itself to corruption. Why are you so insightful? I know, he's so amazing. If yeah. only all of the U.S. military operated in such a fashion. <laughs> I believe a pledge is sacred. Speaking as a man and a fellow employee of the federal government, so do I. These two men are like the best of them, right? Right. <laughs> Talking to each other. And he says, usually the messages from space are gobbledygook, a lot of numbers and letters. But then the night that Cooper was shot, and indeed... Around the same time, in fact, a message came through that was not gibberish. It was the owls are not what they seem, which Cooper is very thrown by. That's what the fireman said to him in his death vision. So he says, well, how did you know to deliver the message to me? And then Garland shows him another printout, which has his name a whole bunch of times. That's pretty scary. <laughs> yes. Messages from space. Yeah. Totally scary. Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. That's yeah. Scary. Even someone like Cooper would have to be like a little unsettled by that. <laughs> yeah. By it. yeah. Ugh. And because he didn't expect it. All this other like magical stuff that's right. happened. He's like, I right. knew that was going to yeah, happen. Or... He expects all this mysticism. Yeah. And he's like, ooh, a message for me from space. Yeah. <laughs> unsettled by that. Yeah. That's weird. And then maybe just because he got shot. Maybe that yeah. just threw him so much too. Because he right. like didn't expect to be thrown off his game like that and <laughs> almost die. <laughs> right. I guess a near-death experience will shake you up a little bit, understandably. <laughs> He's trying to roll with it. Then we're at the Hayward home. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a scene here. <laughs> You've got to shut the fuck up, that was really good. Let's try it again. Ugh, this is arguably one of the worst moments in all of Twin Peaks. It's not good. Just Sung by James in his annoying, dumb voice. Right. <laughs> He's being shitty. Right. I'm just trying to even imagine how he put them up to this. Right. Like, let's 
sing a song in your living room. <laughs> yeah, a love song. Right. And you two do the backing vocals. And one of you is my girlfriend, and one of you looks just like my dead ex-girlfriend. Right. And it's going to be really, like, intimate and weird. <laughs> right. Very funny lyrics for, like, a love triangle. Mm-hmm. You know? Just you and I. Just you and I. <laughs> right. And you. <laughs> Just you, you know, you can be moral. Oh my god, it's perfect. Not subtle, I guess, but I didn't get it quite, but <laughs> the song was improvised. Sometimes when they're like, yeah, we went in the studio, we wrote this song in 10 minutes, I'm like, that's amazing, there's no fucking way. But then this one, I'm like, it took you how long? Because this was just, shout out. I hate this song. <laughs> it's not a good song. It's funny, high voice. It's like they're the backup girls and they're barely anything. They look like they're falling asleep. Like literally Maddie looks like she's falling asleep at one point because her eyes are closed and she's kind of leaning forward. (laughs) Looks like she's going to hit her head on the microphone. (laughs) The only thing I like about this scene is that it's out of sync. Oh. The audio is out of sync to their lip movements. So it makes it really extra dreamy and trippy. So that's the only thing I like is that there's like an interesting David Lynchy thing in there. But otherwise, it sucks ass. And I hate that James is making Donna feel so uncomfortable and like poor Maddie just stuck in the middle. She didn't ask yeah. for this. The she just came to her Maddie, cousin's yeah. funeral. Donna, what's wrong? Nothing. Donna, what's wrong? Nothing. Donna, what's wrong? Nothing. I know. She didn't want this. She's never flirted with James even a little bit. It's like all coming from James' side. She's just like, oh my god. I should probably go back to Montana now. Uh, But poor, poor Maddie will not go back to Montana. We get a little foreshadowing for Maddie. Oh, it's horrible. The first Donna freaks out. understandably but then she immediately backtracks and doesn't admit that she's upset she's like oh (laughs) nothing's wrong i just jumped up before the song was over donna Maybe she did that because the outro was just going on too long. She's like, if I don't get up and run out of the room, we're going to be doing this forever. And then while James is trying to comfort Donna, Harold Smith calls and... We only hear Donna's side of the conversation, but she basically agrees to meet up with him. And while that's happening, Maddie is kind of looking off into the kitchen and sees a terrifying vision. Gosh. <laughs> Bob is so scary, and this is like the scariest so scary. version of Bob when he's like crawling towards He is him. so he's good so at crawling scary. in the most yes. inhuman way possible. Yes. And I don't know if, if there's some trick where they dropped frames or something to make it look more herky-jerky or if that's just Frank Silva. He just has this super nimble way of something. <laughs> yeah, because he gets all low, crouchy, yeah. and just has that grin on his face the whole time. <laughs> so like, it scary. doesn't go away. And then the sound mixing is always extra, extra creepy. <laughs> right, and then she's just such a good screamer. Yes, the whole thing is magic. Terrifying, terrifying magic. And James and Donna do not understand why she's screaming, <laughs> sadly. Back at the Great Northern, room 315, Cooper is asleep, and the terrifying visions continue. First, he's remembering the giant, telling him the owls are not what they seem, and then it's also Major Briggs saying that, and then he's kind of like tapping into Ronette's dreams of Bob, and then he sees Sarah's 
Bob image, and then there's an owl. <laughs> the superimposition filter's gotten a little better since the Loredana, but it's still pretty funny. The only slight moment of levity in this otherwise absolutely terrifying series of visions. <laughs> Sarah going downstairs, ceiling fan, and Bob just smiling, smiling, smiling. And then Cooper wakes up to the phone ringing, and it's Audrey. Oh, Audrey, why don't you say Audrey, where I you know are? Say where you are. <laughs> The theme in this is, like, people not answering direct questions with important information. Yes. He says, where are you? And she says, I saw you in your suit. Like, right. no, Audrey. Just say. When I jack, just, just where say. where you are. Also, you notice my guest, Poop, like, he never gets a good night's sleep. His sleep is disrupted. Like, You're right. Every night. Every night. I'm so frustrated for him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I definitely did not understand until this go-around how sleep-deprived he always is. Yeah. And maybe it explains why he kind of just becomes more and more ineffective for <laughs> this job. Somebody fucking let him sleep. He does not get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Ugh. Even when he is sleeping, he's having these horrible dreams. Hey. Oh, Audrey. Yeah. So she says he looked handsome in his tuxedo like a movie star. And then she's like, oh, by the way, I'm in trouble. But I think I've got a plan. I'm going to get out of here. But then, of course. Click. I am in trouble, but I'm going to come home now. And it's Blackie and that sniveling little weasel, Emery. <laughs> I hate you, Emery. Miss mm-hmm. Horn, you don't know what trouble is by long yeah. shot. Uh-oh. She found out she's not Hester Prynne. <laughs> <laughs> or what's her other pseudonym? Yeah. Prudence. And the phone is so fancy, though. I love that phone. I want a phone like that. And that's the end of the episode. A fun fact is that this is the only original run episode directed by David Lynch that has the regular credits with the Laura Palmer portrait instead of an alternate credit thing. Yeah. All right. Let's go motifs. Oh, right. Gosh, I wasn't even keeping track of motifs this time. Except for, like, the Big Bad Wolf We got the Red Riding Hood Big Bad Wolf thing. Because also, like, Bob is so scary like that. Like, when he's he's approaching Maddie like that, it's Oh, Yeah. Phone transfers. <laughs> a lot of phone transferring, call transferring, uh, struggling with things. <laughs> Cheers. And things coming in and out of focus. Yeah. Because Ronette's vision, I know he's kind of seeing Ronette's vision too, but even before she's seeing a vision, there's her trying to look at the picture and she can't really see the oh, picture right, yeah. because she's... I like that kind of, because it's hard to show someone something to look at and to know, like, yeah, right. where <laughs> like, she's like, you know? Do you recognize this person? Like, like, like uh... I, can't, I can't read it here. Can I hold no, this? I can read that. <laughs> yeah. Know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's funny a little, like, how he loves electricity as danger, like that she's using the cord around his neck. Mm-hmm. I was like, why didn't she just turn it off instead of unplugging it? And yeah. Like, oh, that's why. So yeah. she could wrap the cord around it. She's so cute with it. She's still doing her solving the mystery thing. Right. I wish it were going better for her. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse is proud. Welcome. Ceiling fan award. Oh boy. Oh my god, what'd you go with? There was a lot There's so of many scary options. stuff in this one, but I mean, it has to be Bob appearing to Maddie like that because that yeah. was so scary. Yes, that's what I said too. I settled on that. And especially just because it's piggybacking on the last episode when she sees the blood and the carpet and it's all just foreshadowing mm-hmm. to yeah. what's about to happen to her, which is oh, so man. terrible. I know. Bob is coming for her. But the fish in the percolator award, that'll be better. (laughs) (laughs) 
Gosh, I had a couple contenders. There wasn't like a strong winner. Ah, I'm still a little torn between two, but I think just when uh, when Briggs knocks on the door and Coop says, who is it? And he's like, Major Briggs. <laughs> it's so unlike Coop, you know? Yeah. Like, he just makes us funny. He looks like a little kid. like. <laughs> and it's so out of character for him. Yeah, know? I like that. I just think any Albert scene is such a delight. I just love his banter. Mm-hmm. So I just laugh a lot when Albert's talking. Yeah. So I just got to give a whole breakfast with Albert. Okay. <laughs> I think I'd just love to have breakfast with Albert. But maybe order half that amount of food. Okay. <laughs> but my second place, my runner-up for that was, even though I don't like to give any awards to Jerry other than LVP, I just think his delivery on It Ain't Gonna Be My Pig is really funny. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> my other contenders were like Shelly and Bobby rocking out. It's pretty funny and then of course andy with this i thought it meant i didn't have to take a bath (laughs) he does have a funny accent too why is he more southern than everybody else yeah that's true you know a voice is so important to me i I do uh, i bet lucy likes it too (laughs) (laughs) cool all right lvp Uh, easy one for me is emory yes yeah I had first picked the song Just You, but then I realized that I probably wasn't allowed to because it's James it's Jason. James Jason yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Emery, fuck you, Emery. Emery brings no value and then makes it worse for Audrey. He does. Fortunately, he eventually gets killed, which is so wonderful when that happens. I applaud. <laughs> Okay, MVP. MVP. I had a hard time with MVP because I feel like nobody did anything that made things happen. You know, like nobody. I mean, there were people that I enjoyed. I almost picked Albert for MVP, but finally I had to go with Briggs. Oh my God, me too. We're so on the same page today. Yeah, Briggs says a couple of really great things, you know. He does. And then he delivers the message. Yeah. And he surprises Coop, which doesn't happen very often. You're right. you got to give someone credit for being right. able to do and, that. Right. And, you know, he's validating to the log lady, you know, like he takes her seriously and he follows up. Yeah. So, nice. Wow. We're yes. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. My backup MVP is just going to be Pierre because he's so impactful, like, to yes. me. <laughs> I just never forget that little boy. Right. So scary. Really Weird Stuff is hosted by Annie Malone and Jessica Baxter. Music by Julie Cruz, Angelo Badalamente, and Jessica Baxter. If you enjoyed Really Weird Stuff, please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Really Weird Stuff Pod, on Twitter at Really Weird Pod, and on Facebook at Really Weird Stuff Podcast. Thank you for listening.